So Judges chapter 10, verse, from verse 6 to verse 16, and then we'll read the first three verses of chapter 11 as well. Again, the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord. They served the Baals and the Ashtoreths, and the gods of Aram, the gods of Sidon, the gods of Moab, the gods of the Ammonites, and the gods of the Philistines. And because the Israelites forsook the Lord and no longer served him, he became angry with them. He sold them into the hands of the Philistines and the Ammonites, who that year shattered and crushed them. For 18 years they oppressed all the Israelites on the east side of the Jordan in the Gilead, the land of the Ammonites. The Ammonites also crossed the Jordan to fight against Judah, Benjamin, and Ephraim. Israel was in great distress. Then the Israelites cried out to the Lord, We have sinned against you, forsaking our God and serving the Baals. The Lord replied, when the Egyptians, the Amorites, the Ammonites, the Philistines, the Sidonians, and the Amalekites, and the Mayanites oppressed you, and you cried to me for help, did I not save you from their hands? But you have forsaken me and served other gods, so I will no longer save you. Go and cry out to the gods you have chosen. Let them save you when you are in trouble. But the Israelites said to the Lord, we have sinned. Do with us whatever you think best, but please rescue us now. Then they got rid of the foreign gods among them and served the Lord, and he could bear Israel's misery no longer. And then top of chapter 11. Jephthah the Gileadite was a mighty warrior. His father was Gilead. His mother was a prostitute. Gilead's wife also bore him sons, and when they were grown up, they drove Jephthah away. You are not going to get any inheritance in our family, they said, because you are the son of another woman. So, so Jephthah fled from his brothers and settled in the land of Tob, where a gang of scoundrels gathered around him and followed him. Thank you, Nick. Good morning. Um, please have that passage open in front of you. It'll be hard to follow this if you don't have it open in front of you, um, because what's important is not what I say, but what the Bible says. We're looking at two whole chapters today, from chapter 10, verse 6, right through to chapter 12, verse 7. So please do have the passage open in front of you. Uh, we're looking at Judges chapter 10, verse 6, to chapter 12, verse 7. And the title we've given this sermon is Jephthah, Troubled Leader. I just need to say something about the book of Judges. Isn't it awful? Yeah. I mean, I sometimes think if, you, if you're not depressed and you'd like to get depressed... Just sit down and read through the book of Judges. It's a guarantee it'll work. It really is depressing because the people of God keep turning away from God and running after other gods, running after idols. Then God sends their enemies to attack them. And then the Israelites get so worried because of the enemies coming and, 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 and messing them up that they start crying to God and they start turning back to God and saying, please rescue us. Then God sends a judge or a savior. That's why the book is called the book of Judges. He sends a judge who's really a savior to rescue them out of the hands of their enemies. The judge rescues them. But then afterwards, what do the people do? They go back and they turn to other gods again. Same old story. It's really depressing. Well, that's a great, encouraging beginning <laughs> to a sermon. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you that we have your word in our hands. 
Please take our lives into your hands and speak into them. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. But actually, we all do it. We all naturally turn our backs on God and run to other things. It may not be a specific God, but there may be something in our lives that is more important to us than God is. Something we give priority to. Something we love more than we love God. And when, we, when we're like that, we all are sometimes, then we're actually doing what the Israelites were doing in the book of Judges. And when you look at yourself and you see what you're like, and I look at myself and I see what I'm like, then I think, wow, I need a saviour. We need a saviour. And the great good news is that God has given us a saviour. Just have a look at the passage that Nick read. Um, Look at verse 6, chapter 10, verse 6. Again, the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord. They served the Baals and the Ashtoreths and the gods of Aram, the gods of Sidon, the gods of Moab, the gods of the Ammonites and the gods of the Philistines. And because the Israelites forsook the Lord and no longer served him, he became angry with them. And then come their enemies. And the main enemies that come are the Ammonites, Then verse 10, the Israelites cried out to the Lord, we have sinned against you, forsaking our God and serving the Baals. And then God says to them, look, this has happened before. You cry out to me, but you're not really turning back to me. Verse 13, you have forsaken me and served other gods, so I will no longer save you. Go and cry out to the gods you have chosen. Let them save you when you are in trouble. They can't, of course, because other gods are not real. But the people cry out to God, verse 15, we have sinned. Do with us whatever you think best, but please rescue us now. Then they got rid of the foreign gods among them and served the Lord. Now please look at the end of verse 16. The end of verse 16 says, God could bear Israel's misery no longer. He saw what a mess they were in and his heart went out to them and he wanted to help. When God sees us in a mess, his heart goes out to us and he wants to help. And what God does in this situation is he sends another judge and the judge is Jephthah. So we're going to look at Jephthah now. We're going to see that Jephthah is someone who doesn't get it all right. We're going to see that Jephthah is called by God to rescue Israel in their fight against the Ammonites. But we're going to see that Jephthah makes all sorts of mistakes. He's not a perfect savior. He's not a perfect judge. But before we start looking at Jephthah, let me just say something about him. Even though he messes up, He's still a man who lives by faith in God. Uh, In Hebrews, the letter to the Hebrews in the New Testament, there's a chapter about people in the Old Testament who live by faith. That's Hebrews chapter 11. People like Abraham and Moses and David, etc., etc. They live by faith in God. And four of the judges from the book of Judges get a mention in Hebrews chapter 11 about people who live by faith. And one of them is Jephthah. 
So he's a man who lives by faith. Even though he makes mistakes, he lives by faith. So let's look at this passage and let's be open to the Holy Spirit. Part A, I'm calling this, chapter 11, verses 1 to 29. Jephthah does his best. He does his best. He's had a raw deal in his life. Look at uh, the beginning of chapter 11. His father was Gilead, his mother was a prostitute. Gilead's wife also bore him sons, and when they were grown up, they drove Jephthah away. You are not going to get any inheritance in our family, they said, because you're the son of another woman. Verse 3, so Jephthah fled from his brothers and settled in the land of Tob, where a gang of scoundrels gathered around him and followed him. So Jephthah's had a tough life. Maybe the most important thing to learn about Jephthah, the two things that are really important are, firstly, he's called by God. He's going to rescue Israel. But secondly, look at the beginning of chapter 11. He was a mighty warrior. If there's one thing Jephthah is good at, it's fighting. And he does his best here. He's called to be uh, the leader, the judge, Um, Have a look at um, uh, verse 9. Jephthah answered, the people have said, come on, we want you to be our leader. We want you to be our judge. Suppose you take me back to fight the Ammonites and the Lord gives them to me. Will I really be your head? The elders of Gilead replied, the Lord is our witness. We will certainly do as you say. So Jephthah went with the elders of Gilead and the people made him head and commander over them. And then look at the end of verse 11. He repeated all his words before the Lord in Mizpah. I guess that means that Jephthah talked to God about this, told him what was happening. That shows that Jephthah is living by faith. He's trusting God. Even though he's going to mess up, he's trusting God. And then what he does here, although he's a mighty warrior, he doesn't go straight into battle against the Ammonites. He tries to negotiate with them. Verse 12, Jephthah sent messengers to the Ammonite king with the question, what do you have against me that you have attacked my country? The king of the Ammonites answered Jephthah's messengers, when Israel came up out of Egypt, they took away my land from the Arnon to the Jabbok all the way to the Jordan. Now give it back peaceably. And then what Jephthah does, instead of starting a battle, starting a war... He negotiates. He sends a letter, verses 14 to 27. It's a long letter. I'm not going to read any of it. You can. You can scan it now. You've got the Bible open in front of you. He explains in this letter why the Israelites have not stolen the Ammonites' land. And the Ammonites have no reason to attack Israel. He's trying to negotiate. He's doing his best. I think Jephthah's a good guy. He's trying to negotiate with the Ammonites, but look at verse 28. Oh, I need to say something about verse 27. It's the end of the letter. Look at verse 27. Jephthah says, I have not wronged you, he's talking to the king of the Ammonites, but you are doing me wrong by waging war against me. Let the Lord, the judge, decide the dispute this day between the Israelites and the Ammonites. Can you see that Jephthah believes that the judge, the saviour, is the Lord, God. 
He's living by faith. He's trusting in God. But the Ammonite king is not interested, verse 28. The king of Ammon, however, paid no attention to the message Jephthah sent him. So it hasn't worked, the negotiation, but Jephthah's tried. I think that's impressive. I can sense from the atmosphere in the room that I'm the only person who finds that impressive. But I think that's impressive that he tries to negotiate. He's doing his best. I think that's great. But look at part B. Part B is verses uh, 30 and 31. Jephthah messes up. Jephthah made a vow to the Lord, verse 30. If you give the Ammonites into my hands, whatever comes out of the door of my house to meet me when I return in triumph from the Ammonites will be the Lord's and I will sacrifice it as a burnt offering. Now, is that stupid or is that stupid? We won't vote. I'll tell you the answer. It's stupid. It's incredibly stupid. He makes this promise, whatever comes out of the house, if you give me victory, whatever comes of the house, I will sacrifice that as a burnt offering to you. Jephthah knows that's not right, but he does it. He messes up. He's the saviour in the, in the judge. He's the judge, the saviour that God is giving to Israel. But he's not perfect. He's not a perfect saviour. This is incredibly serious and incredibly bad what he says in verses 30 and 31. He messes up. Then look at part C. That's in verses 32 and 33. Jephthah is used by God. Now we come to the battle. Verse 32, then Jephthah went over to fight the Ammonites and the Lord gave them into his hands. He devastated 20 towns from Aroa to the vicinity of Minith as far as Abel Keramim. Thus Israel subdued Ammon. Now, there are all sorts of questions there about wars in the Old Testament and why they happened and why they were allowed and all this bloodshed and stuff. And I'm not going to try and answer any of those questions. If you want to talk to me about it afterwards, I will point you to people who can answer those questions better than I can. <laughs> but this is clearly God using Jephthah here. This battle needs to be fought because the Ammonites are coming against God's people. And it says in verse 32, the Lord gave the Ammonites into Jephthah's hands. Why does Jephthah win this battle? There are two reasons. The first we've already looked at. It's at the beginning of chapter 11. He is a mighty warrior. He's good at fighting. But the other reason is at the beginning of verse 29. Please have a look at it. Then the spirit of the Lord came on Jephthah. In the Old Testament, believers in God, trusters in God didn't have the Holy Spirit living in them the whole time. The Spirit came on them for certain tasks, for certain jobs. In the New Testament, it's different. If you're a truster in Jesus, the Holy Spirit is living in you now and forever. He, he's always there. If you're a truster in Jesus now, you can lift your heart to God and say, thank you that the Holy Spirit is living inside me. 
But in the Old Testament, the Spirit came on believers for a particular job sometimes. And that's what's happening in verse 29. The Spirit of the Lord came on Jephthah. That's why he wins this battle. That's why he's used by God, because the Holy Spirit has come on Jephthah and enabled him to win this battle. So he's used by God. This, this, these two verses here, verses 32 and 33, they are the center of the passage. They are actually the focus of the passage. Here is God rescuing his people because God loves to send his people a savior. Let's look at part B1, which is verses 34 to 40. Jephthah messes up. This is the second half of the vow story, the promise story. Verse 34, when Jephthah returned to his home in Mizpah, who should come out to meet him but his daughter, dancing to the sound of tambourines. She was an only child, except for her he had neither son nor daughter. Can you imagine how Jephthah feels? His heart is breaking. Verse 35, when he saw her, he tore his clothes and cried, Oh no, my daughter, you have brought me down and I am devastated. I have made a vow to the Lord that I cannot break. Now, we're not going to discuss this in small groups. But I think Jephthah should have broken his promise. Because it was a wrong promise. It was a, a stupid promise. It was an irresponsible promise. If you want to persuade me otherwise afterwards, you're welcome. But here he is, he's saying, I'm going to keep this promise. I promise that the first thing, person, to come out of my house, when I came back from victory over the Ammonites, I would sacrifice that person as a burnt offering to God. So I'm going to do it to you. And it looks like his daughter agrees with this. Verse 36, my father, you have given your word to the Lord. Do to me just as you promised, now that the Lord has avenged you of your enemies, the Ammonites. But grant me this one request, she said. Give me two months to roam the hills and weep with my friends, because I will never marry. I think if I were her, I'd have gone off for two months and never come back. <laughs> Verse 38, you may go, he said, and he let her go for two months. She and her friends went into the hills and wept because she would never marry. After the two months, she returned to her father and he did to her as he had vowed, and she was a virgin. He messes up, Jephthah, doesn't he? What a mess. He sacrifices his only daughter as a burnt offering to God. And Jephthah knows that that's wrong. He knows what the law of God says about human sacrifice. But he made the promise, and he makes the sacrifice. He messes up. This guy, he, he trusts in God. He's living by faith. He's in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 32. He is a savior, but he's not a perfect savior. He messes up. Look with me at the last part of the passage. It's chapter 12, verses 1 to 7. Jephthah does his best. Chapter 12, verse 1, the Ephraimite forces were called out and they crossed over to Zaphon. They said to Jephthah, 
Why did you go to fight the Ammonites without calling us to go with, go with you? We're going to burn down your house over your head. Here are the Ephraimites coming now and saying, well, why didn't you get us on your team? We're going to destroy you. We're going to burn down your house over your head. This, the, this, Israel is in a mess, isn't it? If you read through the book of Judges, if you decide you want to get depressed sometime, you'll see it's all downhill. It starts pretty bad, but then it gets worse and worse. The people keep turning away from God. They keep turning to other gods. And actually what's happening here in chapter 12 is much worse than, that, than what was happening at the end of chapter 10. The Ephraimites are not foreigners. They're not from outside Israel. They are part of God's people. They are part of God's people, Israel. This is going to be civil war. Look at the state that Israel is in. Jephthah answered, verse 2, I and my people were engaged in a great struggle with the Ammonites, and although I called, you didn't save me out of their hands. When I saw that you wouldn't help, I think he's trying to negotiate again to explain the way he did to the Ammonites. I took my life in my hands and crossed over to fight the Ammonites, and the Lord gave me the victory over them. Now, why have you come up today to fight me? The Ephraimites are not listening, and there's a battle, and there's bloodshed, and there's violence. It's terrible. It's civil war. And they seem determined to get rid of all the Ephraimites. It, 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 I don't think they got rid of them all, but they seem to be determined to do this. Look at verse 5. The Gileadites captured the fords of the Jordan leading to Ephraim, and whenever a survivor of Ephraim said... Let me, now, this is a weird, weird bit of the story, but it's, it's all weird, isn't it? Whenever a, whenever a survivor of Ephraim said, let me cross over, over the river, the men of Gilead asked him, are you an Ephraimite? If, if he replied no, because he doesn't want to get killed, they said, all right, say Shibboleth. If he said Sibboleth, because he couldn't pronounce the word correctly, they seized him and killed him at the fords of the Jordan. What it means is that the Ephraimites couldn't say, shh. So they couldn't say shibboleth. So if you were an Ephraimite and you wanted to cross the river, and they, they would say to you, um, are you an Ephraimite? No, 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 no. Okay, say shibboleth. Sibboleth. That gave the game away, you were an Ephraimite, and that was the end of your life. I mean, it's a horrible story. It's weird, the shibboleth thing, isn't it? <laughs> and look at the end of verse 6, 42,000 Ephraimites were killed at that time. Terrible bloodshed. This is civil war. This is God's people in disarray. This is God's people in a mess. God has sent them a saviour, but even that saviour is not a perfect saviour. He messes up. I reckon you can't or you shouldn't be able to read the book of Judges without thinking, oh, wouldn't it be good to have a perfect saviour? Because Jephthah does kind of sort them out. 
until they start rebelling again and going to other gods, and then God sends them another judge, and his name, horror, is Samson. Yes, Jephthah's a savior. Yes, Jephthah's a judge, but he messes up. He fails. He's not a perfect savior. The way you can read the book of Judges without getting depressed is to read the Gospels too. Because God has sent a perfect saviour and that perfect saviour is Jesus. Let me tell you, let me compare Jesus and Jephthah for you as we finish. Jephthah is a troubled leader. That's the title of this sermon. Jephthah's a troubled leader. Jesus is a perfect saviour. I'm going to give you three verses from John's Gospel which show that Jesus is a perfect saviour. And if you found this sermon so far rather puzzling, because the whole thing about Jephthah is very puzzling, firstly, join the club, so have I. But now, as I'm talking about Jesus and these three verses from John's Gospel, which show that he's a perfect saviour, please feel free to lift your heart to God and to thank him for Jesus. Please, let's fill this place with worship to Jesus because he is the perfect saviour. He is the saviour who never messed up. The first verse from John's Gospel I want to mention is John chapter 8, verse 29. You don't need to look it up. I'm going to tell you what it says. John 8, 29, it's Jesus. It's one of my favourite verses in John's Gospel, but I only discovered it about, I think, two years ago, although I understand it had already been there. (laughs) But Jesus is talking about his relationship with, with his father, and then he says this, I always do what pleases him. That is a staggering sentence, isn't it? I always do what pleases him. I mean, if I stood here and said, I always do what pleases God, you'd be all shaking your heads as you walked out. I want to please God. I want to live in a way that pleases God. I don't always do it. I'm a sinner, just like you are. But there's Jesus standing there and saying, I always do what pleases him. And he was telling the truth. Jesus never messed up. Jesus never made a mistake. Jesus never sinned. And that is why he could go to the cross and die for our sins. Because he didn't have any sin of his own. John chapter 8 verse 29, I always do what pleases him. Here's the second verse from John's Gospel. Maybe this one will get you worshipping. Do you remember we looked at chapter 11, verse 29, when we saw the Spirit of the Lord came on Jephthah for a particular task at a particular time? Listen to John chapter 3, verse 34. The Father gives the Son the Father gives the Spirit to the Son 
without limit. John chapter 3, verse 34. Without limit. So not only was the Spirit always in Jesus, he's in, he's in me because I'm a truster in Jesus, but he gives the Spirit to the Son without limit. He always was filled with the Holy Spirit, Jesus. He kept, the Father kept pouring the Holy Spirit into his Son, Jesus. The Father gives the, gives the Spirit to his Son without limit. So Jesus is much better than Jephthah. Jesus is the perfect saviour because the spirit was filling him, the spirit was empowering him. That was John chapter 3, verse 34. The third verse in John's gospel which shows that Jesus is a perfect saviour, feel free to worship is John chapter 19, verse 30. It's Jesus hanging on the cross, and just before he dies, he, he shouts out, It is finished. And that sentence means, I've done it. I've done everything that's necessary so that people can be forgiven. I've done everything that's necessary so that Men and women, boys and girls can come to God and know God as their friend. It's Jesus saying, I died on the cross, I'm dying on the cross, carrying the sins of the world. Not my sins, but the sins of all the people in the world. And as he died, he said, it is finished. He's the perfect saviour. He always did the Father's will. He was always filled with the Holy Spirit. And when he died on the cross, he could say, it is finished, I've done it. And the proof of that is that he rose from the dead. That is the proof that Jesus really did it and that Jesus really is the perfect saviour. I don't know about you, but looking at the book of Judges, and now thinking about Jesus as the perfect saviour, that's kind of cheered me up now. Because I've been reminded who Jesus is and what Jesus is like. He always did the Father's will. He was always filled with the Holy Spirit. And he's the perfect saviour because he said it is finished when he died on the cross. It is so good to have a saviour that's perfect, isn't it? It would be awful if I was standing here saying, now we've been looking at Jephthah, so I want to encourage you to trust in Jephthah. That really would not be good news. But we've looked at Jesus, and I want to encourage us all to trust in Jesus. It may be that you've done that years ago. You've been a Christian for many years. You turned from your sins. You put your trust in Jesus. You said, I believe Jesus died on the cross for me so I could be forgiven. Well, thank him now. Lift your heart to Jesus now and thank him that he's the perfect saviour and worship him in your heart. But maybe you've never done that. Maybe you've been coming to a bar bar for a few weeks or you've been talking to friends or reading the Bible and you've, you're thinking, well, actually, I'm beginning to believe this stuff. I think I am a sinner. I think I need forgiving. 
And I think that Jesus is the perfect saviour. I think he died so that I could be forgiven. Well, then the invitation is here today. You can decide to turn from your sins and put your trust in Jesus, the perfect saviour. And then you will know that you're forgiven. It is so good to know that we have a perfect saviour. I can stand here and say, I am forgiven. Now and forever. Not because of what I do for God, but because of what God did for me when Jesus died. Can you say that? I'm forgiven not because of what I do for God, but because of what God did for me when Jesus died. If you can say that, then you're a Christian, you're a truster in Jesus, and you have a perfect Savior. Hallelujah.